on Friday, I was with, uh, with my family. We were down at the beach, and um, but Jack and I were getting ready to go skateboarding. Yeah, Lord. Yeah, I don't know where you guys were. Um, I was going skateboarding with my son. We were, there's a little skateboard park there in Atlantic Beach, and he didn't have any shoes. We went down there. Best us, you know, he needs some new ones anyway. The ones he's got are just, just ratty. You need to get him some new ones. So I said, I'll get him some new ones on the way to the skateboard park. So we're heading out the door, and she's like, aren't you going to figure out where you're going to go get shoes? I mean, were you just going to go to any old store? And I'm like, honey, seriously, there's an app for that. <laughs> you know, I could just key in shoes, and I'm going to get the little red pens. They're going to hit my deal, and I'm going to, you know, have 20 different places within 0.1 miles of places to get shoes. And so I, I uh, head out the door, and we're riding down there, and I figure out, you know, I'm going to go to Rack Room or Payless Shoes, and we're heading down to the deal to get shoes. And I'm talking to Jack, and I pick up my phone, and then I see the little wheel that basically says that my battery is dead and that my phone is dying. And I'm like, no! Because, you know, we become just like we can't function anymore without our GPS or our iPhone or the little blue dot that's blinking on the way. And I kind of freaked out. I, I, I grabbed my, I'm thinking, there's no way I forgot to charge my phone last night. I can't believe it. I was even thinking, I was like, didn't I plug it into the deal last night and get it done? And didn't it charge? And then I see it in the morning. But I didn't, obviously. So instead of, like, look for it, I had to be, I was probably half a mile or less from the shoe stores or anywhere where I could get shoes. But instead, I pull over into the deal, I start in a parking place, and Jack's like, what are you doing? I'm like, i got to get my iPhone working so we can find out where we're going. And I start messing with it. I'm not kidding you, probably for 15 minutes to try to get it to work. I'm holding the thing, counting to six, maybe it'll come on. And finally, I come to my senses, and I drive around, and, like, in two minutes, I find the rack room shoes. We get in there, we get them some shoes. But don't we do that? Have we not come, gotten really dependent on PDAs, the information that we can get at rapid speeds? I mean, it's amazing that there's an app for everything. I mean, there's always that annoying friend when you're doing something that says, hey, man, there's an app for that. You know, you've always got somebody that's, that says stuff like that. In fact, I found an app for that that's called There's an App for That. And I, I uh, wrote down some of the things. What you do is you hit the little refresh button on the app, and it, it shows you, like, the stupidest things that there could be an app for. And I'm going to read some to you just because they're hilarious. If you fall in and you can't get up, well, there's an app for that. If you want to turn your iPhone into a Snuggie, there's an app for that. If she looked better on MySpace than in person, there's an app for that. If you run out of toilet paper, yep, there's an app for that. If you want to find Waldo, there's an app for that. If you want to look like you're not alone when you're being stood up in a bar, there's an app for that. If you're in space and no one can hear you scream, there's an app for that. Um, if you're having iPhone buyer's remorse, there's an app for that. If you want to calculate how many hours a day you procrastinate using your iPhone, there's an app for that. If you like pina coladas, there's an app for that. If you need more cowbell, well, there's an app for that. There's actually a cowbell app on the iPhone, believe it or not. You can hit it and it goes, ding, ding, ding. It's amazing. If you have a giant booger hanging out of your nose and no one has told you all day about it, well, there's an app for that. If there's no app for that, then, well, hey, there's an app for that too. But it's amazing. How many people have an iPhone, seriously, in here? Look at all the people. And the other 100 people are probably on their iPhone emailing and not paying attention to me. But it's amazing. that, the, And it, you know what? To tell you the truth, it's not cool anymore to get an iPhone. You can get it for 99 bucks, and people's moms have iPhones. I mean, people's moms are calling them going, hey, I need an app to figure out how to do my sewing deal, and iPhones have no longer been, you know, if you're cool, you used to have an iPhone. Now everybody's got them, so they're no longer cool. But we have, 
so much technology and so much information coming at us at such a fast rate. We've become a society that is used to it. And we like to know when we're making decisions what's going on. And it's available to us, so we dig into it and we go for it. I mean, I like the little blue dot that you know, follows the little purple line on my map on my iPhone when I'm heading somewhere. You know what I'm saying? I like it. I don't like it to go away, obviously. And, you know, you, GPS, it's the same way. We like to hear the lady go, turn left now. I mean, we like that. We don't want to... I, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they got so aggravated with me because I'm telling them how to get somewhere, not knowing that they have a GPS, but everybody's got a GPS or an iPhone, I'm assuming, because everybody seems to yell at me and go, dude, just give me the address, seriously. 2217 Delwood Avenue, that's what I want. I don't want turn left at the pink house with a dude spitting tobacco over here at noon. I want an address. And it's what we've kind of gotten to as a, as a, uh, as a society. And what I'm going to talk about today is this idea that we are focused on the seen things of this world. And I talked a little bit about it a couple weeks ago. The, the things that we can see, the things that are tangible that we can get our hands on. When we're making decisions, we want all the information. We want all the things right in front of us. We don't want to be caught by surprise. If God's asking us to, to jump and do something, we want to know the wind speed. We want to check and see if there's an app for that. I mean, we really want to know all the information we can possibly get. We're kind of infatuated with this, this scene thing. And it'll come, become more clear as, we, as I get through the talk. But we're going to talk about the seen world, the things that are tangible, the things that we can hold on to, the things that we see, and the unseen world, which are the things of God, the things that are eternal. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a, uh, there's a show on, and I'm embarrassed to say I watch it. I'm probably worse than Tom Ross. It's called Dating in the Dark. It just started. Anybody ever seen just the ad for it? It sounds worse than it is. Um, but it's, they get, they get three, three dudes and three girls, and they put them in a house, and they, they separate them, and then they come together for dates in the dark. And the idea is not to get weird in the dark. It's so that they get to know each other without actually seeing each other. And they, you know, can ask each other questions. They can really get, you know, they spend a little time together and they get to know, know each other. But th- the reason that I was drawn into it and the reason we are, you know, that they even have a show called Dating in the Dark is because we would never do that, ever, especially with the information that's available to us. I mean, at the end of the show, they do a reveal and people are like, they think they like the person and they're waiting to see if it's a, you know, there's going to be a beauty queen in front of me or it's going to be a troll. And I don't know which it is. <laughs> And it's, you know, we, we were looking at it like this is going to be an absolute train wreck. And it's like you make your stomach turn, you know, like bad episodes of The Office. I mean, it's just really crazy. And we would never do that, ever, because we want the information. We want the seen world, the things that we are tangible that we can look at. I mean, blind dates are gone, right? I mean, are there really any more blind dates? Even if somebody tells you, they say, you know, Larry, I'm going to introduce you to this nice accountant, Larry. And, you know, what are we going to do if we have his first and last name? What are we going to do? We're going to check Facebook. I heard it out there. We're going to go look and we're going to see what Larry looks like. We're going to flip through all of his photos that his friends took, not his profile picture, which is going to be all smooth. But we're going to see all the things that he's been tagged in. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about. Your Facebook's huge too. I mean, it's amazing. Facebook's no longer. It used to be the cool thing that college kids did. Now my mom's on Facebook, which makes it so uncool because she puts creepy stuff on my wall, like take your vitamins. and I mean, it's not good. But seriously, we don't like to make decisions without information. Even the smallest decisions, I mean, we, you know, there's the urban spoon. We need to go somewhere to eat. We're going to shake our phone, and voila, we've got a $2 sign place that's right over here. It's a Thai place, just what we want. But even when we get to the bigger decisions in life, like where, do I, where am I going to go to college? You know, what do, you know where am I going to live? You know, who am I going to marry? Who am I supposed to date? 
we've got tons of information available to us. And, and as, a, uh, as a parent with elementary school kids, it's like, where, you know, where are my kids going to go to school? You've know, got all kinds of options. got public, private, magnet. You know, what am I going to do? Charter school? But there's tons of information. We can look those things up. We can, you know, where am I going to live? You know, do I need to live in this school district or this school district? You know, where, where am I going to go? We can find the information. And we spend a lot of time. We live in a world where the answers are, are attainable. You can Google it. I Googled this sermon, by the way. Actually, I didn't. But you could. Absolutely. Google a sermon. You could find tons of sermon illustrations. You could get video. Do the whole thing, and you'd never know um, that I Googled it. I didn't. I promise. I know I've been dishonest in the past. A couple weeks ago with my story of Chris Martin and Gwyneth Paltrow. If you weren't here, you can listen to it online. It's awesome. Um, but what I, what I'm gonna, what I want to talk to you about today is this idea of the seen and the unseen, and that when we're focused on the seen things of this world, the things that are tangible that we can hold on to, it causes number one anxiety. And anxiety, after all, is living out the future before it gets here. I mean, that's what we, we try to do. We want to know every turn. We want to know everything that we're grabbing hold of. I've been with students um, going through a, a book called Just Do Something, and it's got some great little tidbits about. You know, our generation, from, from like 18 years old all the way up to 45, it's not just for, for young people. And some great statistics, I'll read some in a minute, but it kind of wraps itself around this idea that we have tons of choices and tons of information, and we get caught up in it when there's something else going on in the unseen world that God wants us to be caught up with. And instead of asking those questions, which we're going to ask, I mean, we've got to know where we're going to college, we've got to know where our kids are going to go to school, but how much time do we spend on that? And do we ask the more important questions like, do I really love God with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength, everything in me? And do I love my neighbor as myself? Is that, am I sowing seeds in the unseen more often? And the passage in Scripture I want to I talk about today is in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, uh, 16 through 18. I want to go kind of backwards through this. And it's, um, I'm going to start in verse 18, and it's, it's this. Paul talking to the Corinthians. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, or they're, pad, they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. So Paul kind of wraps it up pretty good. He, he, he says, this, the things that are seen, the things that are tangible that we can hold on to, the things of this world, are passing away. They're not going to be here forever. But the things that are unseen, like our un, the unseen God, the faith that we hold on to, I mean, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen is what Hebrews says faith is. And that's, what our whole, that's why we're here this morning, because we have faith in a God that we can't see. But Paul says, look, don't focus on the transient, the, the temporary, the things that are passing away, but focus on the unseen. And that's kind of where we're going to head today. Um, I wanted to kind of take a side trip over to Matthew 6, 25 through 34, because I think Jesus... Um, does a great job of kind of pulling this idea that us focusing on the decisions of life will cause anxiety in a way that it shouldn't. If we're focused on the unseen, we still have to make those decisions and those choices. If we focus on the seen, I'm sorry, the things that we can see, we still have to make those decisions and choices. But it's different if we're, our eyes are focused on the unseen, the, the unseen things of this world that God is talking about. Okay, Matthew 25 to 34. It's a long chunk, but I'm going to read it because it's awesome. It's Jesus. I mean, we've got to be patient for Jesus for sure. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, nor what you will put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of, of more value than they? In which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own own trouble. I love that, because we are anxious about a lot of things. And we are looking for apps for that. I mean, in every, at every corner, we want to find answers. We're looking in our lives for the answers to all of these questions. And we spend a massive amount of time trying to figure it out. One of the things that I, that I read in this book was the amount of choices that we have just in the grocery store. Talk about wasting some time. All right. In the book, The Paradox of Choice, Barry Schwartz tells us of a trip to his local moderately sized grocery store, and he found 285 varieties of cookies, 13 sports drinks, 65 box drinks, 85 kids' juices, 75 iced teas, 95 types of chips and pretzels, 15 kinds of of bottled water. Are you serious? It's water. Uh, 40 options of toothpaste, 150 lipsticks, 360 shampoos, 90 different cold remedies, 230 soups, 75 instant gravies. Seriously? 275 varieties of cereal, 64 types of barbecue sauce, and 22 types of frozen waffles. I mean, that makes me anxious, just reading that. I don't know if you go up and down the aisles looking at the things that are in the aisles and go, ah, I mean, just back in the day when you went to get olives, it was just like, there's the olives. You know, there wasn't a whole big deal of stuff going on. And what I'm trying to say, just to make this more clear, is... um, Last week, I was, or two weeks ago, I was in my office and I was trying to find a texting program for, to, to do group texting. I actually emailed Tom and wanted to know, where, is there a group texting deal for the iPhone where I can set up groups? You can set up groups, but you can't text from them, like click the whole deal and all of them send to everybody. I wanted one for middle school, high school, and college. So every week, I could send it to them. And I knew the statistics that kids don't read email anymore, they do texting. They think email's for old people. You know, if you want to get a student's attention, you text them. I mean, y'all know that parents know that. I mean, seriously, your kids want to be texted to get information to them. So I'm spending a bunch of time trying to figure it out. I know the statistics. I'm like, if I can get all the students texted, then they're all going to come to the Connect deal, and it'll be great, transform lives. It's wonderful. And I spent a massive amount of time in my office trying to figure out how in the world I can do texting. Found a few programs that were real expensive. I'm like, there's got to be some geek out there that's figured this deal out to do it free and cheap. So I'm sitting there thinking about it. (laughs) Somebody just called Tom Rossi out. They're like, Tom's been working on it for months. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Nice. Good job, Mark. But I I was spending a massive amount of time on it, and I just got this overwhelming sense. God was really talking to me. He said, Derek, close your laptop, 
Turn off your phone and get on your knees and just start praying for your students. Don't, don't waste another minute on this. I know it's tangible. I know it's something you can grab hold of. I know it's something that you can, you can do that has results. And you know what? If you text them all, probably you'll have you know, two or three might come. And you know what? If you get on your knees and pray for your students, you may never know what it does. You may never know what it does to their heart, what I do, the power of my Holy Spirit, what it may do to them. But I'm asking you right now, sow seeds in the unseen. Something that you can't see, that you can't grab hold of, something you have no idea what the outcome's going to be. Do it right now. Lay that down. Don't do it. Don't get caught up in it. I know it, it's, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. But there's something better. There's something better. You're getting anxious about a lot of things. So Jesus said to Martha, she was busy doing a lot of things. And, and where was Mary? At Jesus' feet. She was worshiping. Just take, swept away with her Savior. And we get busy. I get busy. I can't tell you how busy I get. Another, another example I can think of is we were at, um, most of y'all know we were at Student Life a few weeks back. And I realized we were heading home and I asked. They, they, they did, a, did a thing where they um, kind of promoted Compassion International. If you don't know what Compassion International is, I'm not going to give you all the details. But it's a life-changing organization that takes your money and puts it in the, in the life of a child. And it changes their life. It doesn't just put some change in the pocket for the kid. It absolutely spiritually, emotionally, and physically changes their life if you sponsor a child. It's a great organization if you do any study on those type of deals to find out where to stick your money. It's a good one. Well, our kids sponsored 10. And I had no idea. I'm like, oh my gosh, some parents are going to be really ticked off at me. But it's 10 kids at 30 or $40 a month. And they, had made, they basically said, hey, we... We don't, we're not going to, we're going to sacrifice getting the iPhone. We're going to sacrifice getting the Xbox game. We're going to sacrifice going to the movies all summer. I, I'm going to, this kid, I'm going to sponsor him. And I'm going to change his life. I'm going to sow seeds. I may never see what happens to him. I might get a few letters from him. I may, may never be able to go visit him. But I'm going to trust that God's going to do something with the resources that I've got and change the life of this child. And those kids brought back 10 compassion kids, 10 packets. And I, I mean, I was just blown away that kids that age we're sowing seeds into the unseen world. And it's something that we should really think about because I think God releases joy and the anxiety drops. The statistics tell us that even though we've got things like this that are supposed to reduce anxiety, that our anxiety is higher than it ever has been. That we're stressed out more than we ever have been as a, as a people on earth. And we shouldn't be because we have all the decision-making tools possible. But this world's passing away and God says, if you're grabbing hold of the wrong thing, you're going to have anxiety. Now, I'm going to go back to 2 Corinthians, and I'm going to read this whole chunk from 16 to 18, and we're going to talk about another thing that happens about us losing heart. When we're focused on the seen things of this world, it's so easy to lose heart. Starting in 16. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away. Some of us in here, we've mentioned it already today, have come in here with some heavy stuff. We know people are battling fatal cancer. I mean, Kristen Kettle right here in our body, battling fatal cancer. And some of you are 
desperate to be in a, a relationship. You've been lonely for a long time. Some of you are going through divorce. Relationships are being pulled apart. Your kids are being pulled apart. Some of you are in physical pain. Some of you are going through things that are unimaginable to me. And the, the, everything in the scene world is telling you that tragedy is all that you can see. Every test result, every scan you see, you see the margins of cancer, you see all the things that I can see with my face. These results don't lie. They're telling me that I'm going to die. That's what they're telling me. To be honest with you, that's an overwhelming thing for me to think of with children, knowing that a family is dealing with that, and there's families in here dealing with that. It is. And where are the answers? I mean, that's what my students ask me most often. There's so much hurt in the world. There's so much hurt in our church. Where is God in that? I don't understand. I don't get it. If God loves us, I mean, that's our prayer when we're hurting. It's like, God, I know that you love me, but I have cancer. And I see it on my test results with my eyes. God, I know that you love me, but I have been single forever. And I want to be in a relationship. Where are you? I'm lonely. I'm clinically depressed. And I, don't, I really don't know how to get out of this, God. I know you love me, but where are you? In that. I've been in physical pain for 10 years. God, I know that you love me, but why won't you heal me? I've come forward, I've asked, I've done everything that you've wanted me to do. I know you love me, but why haven't you changed the situation? Why haven't you made it better? I don't know what all of you are dealing with. But I know on some level, most of y'all can relate to that question. And the answer I'm going to give may not bring comfort, but for me, in the times when I've been in the valley and somebody's done this for me, it has definitely brought joy in a place of pain. Over 2,000 years ago, there was a, a band of people that began to follow this guy named Jesus. And he was amazing. He blew their mind. He started doing miracles in their sight. He was confounding the wise. He was smarter than people that had memorized the entire Old Testament and was turning things upside down. And they thought, here is our king. Here is our redeemer. Here's the guy that's come to change it all. He's going to be on a throne. And all this junk that we're dealing with right now is going to be gone. And they were stoked. I mean, they were leaving their families behind. They followed him for, you know, three and a half years, giving everything up because what they were seeing was miracles. What they were seeing was transformation. They were seeing all these amazing things. And, of course, we'd abandon all if, if Jesus in flesh came in here and began to do miracles, right? We would. But there was one fateful night in the garden when Jesus was arrested. He was taken away. He was beaten. He was beaten again the next day. And he was shredded on a cross. I mean shredded. And I hate to be graphic, but that's, that's what was going down. And there was devastation in the followers of Jesus. They were devastated. They were sitting there looking up going, God, what are you doing? We don't understand in full view of the cross. I can see it, but I have no idea what's going on. I don't understand it. Everything in front of me is telling me that this is bad. This is horrible. Their dreams were being dashed in front of their face. Just absolutely stripped away from them. Bawling. The Mary, the mother of Jesus, looking up at her son. Could you imagine the hurt, the confusion, even anger? At their heavenly father. Peter, James, and John. They were close to Jesus. I mean like tighter than brothers. Looking up at their battered and beaten savior. Just confused. Bewildered. 
But they didn't know the end of the story then. And we know it now. And we look back on that day as believers and we say, it's the best day ever for you and for me. In full view of the cross, in retrospect, we look at it and we say, oh my goodness, it was the worst day and it was the best day in history. Because he redeemed everything, not in the way that I thought he would, but he bought everything back for sure. It was an amazing, amazing thing that in, in the moment, those people lacked understanding. They had no clue. But I can tell you, if you're going through it and you're asking those questions, where are you, God? He is here. He is here. When um, Thomas was in the upper room and the disciples were still scared, they, did, you know, they were kind of confused. You know, some of them had seen Jesus and he had been risen from the dead. But they were still doubting the whole deal. And Thomas was especially. And he says he wanted, wanted to see the whole thing. Jesus came floating through the door, if you can imagine that. And Thomas says, I want to put my, my, my fingers in the, in the holes of your hands. I want, to, I want to know that it's you. And Jesus says, yeah, you believe now. But he says, blessed are those who believe and do not see. Blessed are those who believe and do not see. Our lives are supposed to be focused clearly on the unseen. We get distracted by many things. We lose hope because our eyes are focused on the things of this world. And I know tragedy strikes. But I can tell you there's one thing that you can do. And it may not take the physical pain away immediately. It may not take some of the emotional pain away. But I can tell you it gives you hope. When we can take our eyes off the things of this world, the seen things of this world, and we can focus them clearly on the cross and what happened there. Because it is a confusing and strange thing. But we see it as believers and we know that, that it's great. We know that he had a master plan that was way beyond ours. And when we're hurt and we're down and we're beaten and we're battered, there's no other hope than the cross of Jesus Christ. There's nothing that explains hurt in this world more than the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand.